LMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding. The street is full of corruption. It is baked in to every aspect of our society. 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This is written over 100 years ago. Hey friends, it's Steve. This is April Fool's Day. It's my birthday. I'm 54 fucking years old. Um, it's not a joke. I wish it were. Um, I was not have had zero plans of going live today. Um, I'd hoped we would get some air miles underneath of the macro and cheese episode. Little did I know some of our other friendlies in the uh, MMT community decided to shift their release date to the same release date that we do ours for the last four years. Um, and hopefully people still are able to find a way to squash two pods in the same day. Hopefully we don't get trounced. We weren't up at Oh five o'clock in the morning, uh, when the others released, um, broke my heart for a birthday. I was like, Oh, stab me in my heart. But that's what happens when you're not working collaboratively together. You just sort of do things. Today's discussion is going to be something that was important enough for me to get in front of the camera, tell my family, love you to death. But for my birthday, I'm going to endure the lights of my little shitty studio. It's not shitty. It's actually pretty decent. Um, but I want to talk about a couple things. I'm going to talk about what is. I'm going to talk about signals, what a signal is. And I've talked about this on other pods. So if some of this sounds redundant, it is. Unfortunately, repetition is what is needed. People sometimes don't fully pull these all together. And I want to tell you all something that maybe isn't quite clear. Okay. See, I'm an MMT -er through and through. Okay. And because so many people have gone into this weird kind of dem type world where they're like, still hanging on Bernie Sanders, where they're looking at Joe Biden as if he's like a friend. It doesn't work for a lot of people. And as a result of that, the people that see that and say, oh, hell no, they're not willing to listen to MMT stuff because they think it's just another freaking Democrat psyop. They think it's just another way of trying to make Joe Biden look good or Hillary look good or whatever doesn't matter if it's real, doesn't matter if it's Memorex. What matters is that people believe it, okay? And that's sort of like what we call institutionalized knowledge. And what I'm going to do is real quickly, uh, this is not the story today, but I want to show you something very, very, very important, okay? And this right here is a, um, it's a screenshot of a word called institutionalized. And I want you to understand, institutionalized established as part of an official organization one of the most insidious byproducts of the cold war was institutionalized secrecy or established in practice or custom the danger of discrimination becoming institutionalized in other words you don't even question it it's just the way it is right it's it's like the thing that happens now beforehand so here look institutionalized here created and controlled by an established organization in other words maybe the government, whatever, they institutionalize a belief, they institutionalize them with uh, some a signal or concept or, hey, we just printed money and then tells industry, hey, we can raise prices because everybody's dumb enough to believe that the amount of money in the economy 
creates inflation. So let's capitalize on that and let's go ahead and raise prices. Established as a common and accepted part of the system or culture, institutionalized beliefs or practices. You hear me talk about this all the time, institutionalized knowledge. So what did I say? I said that Clara Mattei, who wrote the book, The Capital Order, said that austerity, a triple triumvirate, triune, the trinity of austerity, the three-banger, the three key elements, the three-pronged attack against labor, etc., is an institutionalized attack. It's an institution, meaning it doesn't mean if it's real. Remember, it becomes and establishes a common and accepted part. It is a belief. A be let me ask you a question. Are beliefs facts? Here, let me put my face on here. Are beliefs facts? Beliefs are beliefs. And if you believe them, they have the power of fact, right? If you believe that raising interest rates will stop inflation, then you might take actions thinking that. But if raising interest rates is also laid out there as the intention to create layoffs, then what happens? Let's see here. Let's take a peek. Layoffs in 2023. So let's, let's go ahead and just take a peek at this real quick. In, in 2023, Roku lays off 6% of its workforce. Lucid Group lays off 18% of its workforce. Meta lays off 13% of its workforce. Twitter lays off 10% of its workforce. Twillow lays off 17% of its workforce. Let's keep going through this. You come down here. Look at that. All these different groups. Disney. Look at this, 7,000 jobs. Zoom, mass layoffs, 15% of its workforce. Dell, 37% decline in what? 6,500 people from its workforce. PayPal, 2,000 people laid off. IBM, 3,900. Spotify, oh my goodness, 6,600. Google, 12,000. Microsoft, 10,000. Amazon. 18,000. Direct TV. Look, after losing 400,000 subscribers, what? Oh my God, they're talking about 10%. Okay. Sales mass layoff, Salesforce. We're talking about 7,000 jobs. Vimeo, 11%. 6% were laid off in July 2022. Look at this. Roku. 6%, Lucid Group, 18%, Meta, 13%, Twitter, 10%, Twillo, 17%, Roomba, 7%, Disney, 3%, Zoom, 15%, Dell, 5%, HubSpot, 7%, IBM, 1.5%, Gemini, 10%, Yankee Candle, 13%, 3M, less than 1%, Spotify, 6%, Google, Alphabet, 6%, Microsoft, 4% to 5%, Amazon, 1% to 2%, Carta, 10%, Coinbase, 20%, DirecTV, 5% to 6%, Sales, 10%, Vimeo, 11 Goldman Sachs, 8 Compass, we don't know yet. Stitch, layoffs, 20%, okay? DoorDash, we've got even, this is last year, right? So let's, let's, let's take a minute. Let's talk about this. What 
caused all the layoffs. Now, part of it may have been results of the pandemic, okay? But what happens? What happens when you create layoffs? When you say we're raising interest rates, when you say the reason that we're raising interest rates is to create a tighter work environment where people, there's more slack labor, where we take people out of the workforce that want to work. That's what the intention is. Now, does raising interest rates do that? Not necessarily. But it does in an, let's go back to the institutionalized. Let's go back here again, okay? When you institutionalize the concept, when you institutionalize the concept that by raising interest rates, it creates layoffs, you're doing your hand signals, flashing your gang signs, whatever, to the people, okay? And you're telling industry, hey, we're going to raise interest rates. They lay people off. You go out there and say, we're going to spend on the people. We're going to give them paycheck. We're going to give them $2,000 checks. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. What does that do? All of a sudden, the bat signals come out. The hands go. All the other fucking hand signals come out in the industry. And what do they do? They tell them, hey, we're printing money. You can raise prices. You're printing money. We can raise prices. Okay? Now, there was. let's see if I can find it. The Guardian gouging. So many stories in here, but there is a particular one. I don't know if this is going to be the one that, no, it's, it can't possibly be. Maybe this one? I think this one's the one that I wanted to show you. Revealed U.S. corporations raising prices on Americans even as profits surge. I think, yeah, here it is. Look at this. Okay. Look at this. There was nothing that made those prices go that high. There was nothing that made it have to be that way. Nothing. What happened? They got the bat signals. They got the fucking hand gestures. They got the secret handshake, the institutionalized knowledge. Okay. Let's go back there. The institutionalized knowledge created and controlled by established organization. Established as a common and accepted part of the system or culture. Institutionalized beliefs and practices. Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying here? Does this make sense? Okay? Now, does interest rates create deflation? Raising interest? No. What's happening when the government says we're going to pay higher interest on our bonds and so forth? Right? They are insuring here. In fact, let, let's go right back to the sherry of the screeny. Let's go back. Give me one quick second. And let's look at Warren Mosler's tweet here. A positive policy rate in, of interest is the gift, whether paid via bonds by the Treasury or via interest on reserves by the Fed. I call it a basic income for people who already have money. Look at the date of this. That's May 3rd, 2020. Okay. I want you to think about this. I've known Warren Mosler now for a long time. I have followed Warren Mosler for a long time. 
Warren Mosler and I don't have necessarily the same politics. Okay. But Warren knows his shit better than anybody I know when it comes to this stuff. Okay. Now, I have been telling you all along this is raising money and sending it to the rich. That's what interest rates are doing. That's exactly what interest rates are doing. Okay. Let's get this straight. Let's get this straight. Let's get this straight. If you understand that the Fed answers, it puts, it puts things out into the universe. The Treasury puts things out into the universe. They have these meetings. They say certain things. And every industry person is sitting there waiting to hear what they say. Are they going to raise interest rates? Are they going to lower interest rates? Are they going to spend more money? Are they going to cut spending? And all of a sudden, this ripple effect happens. It has nothing to do with anything that necessarily happened. It has to do that that is the institutionalized reaction to we're raising interest rates or interest, we're, we're going to cut spending. So now we know, if you understand that when a country stops spending, that there could be a huge credit surge because somebody's got to fill the economy back up. So what ends up happening when you have interest rate hikes, if they're not high enough, people are still going to buy at the higher level. It's not going to change their buying habits at all. It would require a super massive raise to really, truly do that. And that's why the Fed keeps hiking rates up higher and higher and higher and higher. Okay. So when we talked about the trinity of austerity. Look, we're trying to find words and stuff that will help stick in your fucking brain, okay? There are people out there that don't want you to be able to hold on to simple ideas. They want you to have to know philosophy, 300-year-old esoteric nonsense from the French Revolution that you could never fucking know because even Google won't help you find Okay, you can't even find white papers if you're studious and on the subjects these people try to fight back on. So you just need to understand that there are people out there that don't want you to understand. They want to have unique elite knowledge that they think sets them apart and they want to be able to talk down at you. Okay, I'm here to try to change that. Even though I get angry, even though I shout at the devil, even though I scream and yell and get angry. I am literally trying to make this stuff that is not that exciting somehow or another titillating that you're interested, that you find it to be something compelling. You must know that it matters to learn this stuff. Okay. Well, lo and behold, the economy has been surviving based on the interest income channel based on raising interest rates. How can that be, you ask? Okay. Well, one of these days, I promise you one of these days, I will draw pictures on a board. I will share a screen where I'm able to show you this stuff in, in live graphic detail. I can't do it right now. I've got to be the tech person to figure it all out. I just don't have enough hands and brain power to do it solo. Okay. And that's where we're at, by the way. So I'm just not able to muster up enough time to pull it off solo. Right. But if you think about this, when all that money is going up, it's going to the wealthy. The economy 
doesn't go in recession. Why? Because at the macro level, in other words, indiscriminate GDP, it's gone up money. The, the, the income channel from interest rate hikes has kept the economy alive while the federal government has cut spending on other things for us. Okay. Interest channel gone up, spending on everybody else gone down. That leaves us with two possible ways of surviving. One is we got to pray to God that the rich want to spend on us, little people, that they have enough bougie needs that somehow or another their desires trickle down their leg like urine onto our heads, and that somehow or another we get a little teeny bit of something from them. That's it, trickle down economics. Or we go into private debt. And at, at some point, you and I have a cap on how much debt we can take on personally. Okay. Once we hit that debt limit of our own, once we're no longer able to acquire additional funds and the monies that we're making now are just paying off debt, they're no longer buying new things, the economy again goes into recession. Okay. But right now, it's not going in recession, even though many of us are feeling that very pressure. Okay. Why is that? Why does it look like on paper we're not in a recession? Yet for many of us, it feels very much like we're in a recession. Well, it's because of that interest channel. The interest is paying money to the top. Sometimes it trickles down. Now, I'm going to read something to you all from Stephanie Kelton. I hope, I hope, hope that this helps you guys better understand. Let's go ahead and swing over. I'm going to bring out Stephanie Kelton article from her um, Substack. I talked about this from February 26th. She goes, last weekend I wrote about Warren Mosler's argument that the Fed rate hikes could be undermining its effort to bring down inflation. While Mosler is a leading proponent of modern monetary theory, the notion that monetary tightening, conventionally defined as central banks raising interest rates, might cause inflation to run hotter is not unique to MMT. Mosler emphasizes that the interest income channel it's not the only possible pathway from higher rates, higher inflation. And while mainstream economists like Paul Krugman and Olivier, Olivier Blanchard acknowledge the interest income channel, they don't assign it much potency. Mosler does. He points to the fact that the rate hikes are feeding hundreds of billions of dollars of additional income to bondholders. To get a sense of the numbers we're talking about, here's a passage from last week's post. Compared with its May 2022 estimate, CBO now estimates that over the next five years, the federal government will pay out an additional $644 billion in net interest. This isn't what will be paid out in total over that period. That's a whopping $3.879 trillion. The $644 billion is the additional amount of net interest CBO thinks the government will end up spending over the next five years mostly because of the Federal Reserve's aggressive rate hikes, okay? And here's a chart from Apollo's chief economist, Torsten Slock, who just yesterday observed that interest payments on the U.S. Treasuries have doubled from $1 billion per day before the pandemic to $2 billion now. U.S. government interest payments per day have doubled from $1 billion per day before pandemic to almost $2 billion per day in 2023. Look at that. That's just interest payments. 
that fuck the country is not going broke. We're purposely creating this money to keep the economy going. But look where it's going. It's going to the top. So Mosler points out, points to the stock of U.S. Treasuries held by the public, which as of last week stood at $24.62 trillion. Debt held by the public is composed of treasury bills, notes, bonds, treasury inflation, protected securities, tips, floating rate notes, FRNs, domestic series, foreign series, state and local government series, slugs, United saving, States Saving Securities, and a portion of government account series. These are all different types of securities, okay? These are all different types of securities. They're nothing special. They got all these names, but in the end, they're just a place like a savings account that has interest bearing on it in different ways, okay? So he shows the full 35 trillion up here, total public debt outstanding 31.46, debt held by the public 24.62, and then intragovernmental holdings 6.8 trillion. Now let's go into this. To be clear, the Fed rate hikes aren't pushing additional interest income into the hands of everyone. Look at this. It's, they're not pushing interest money into the hands of everyone who holds a portion of the outstanding debt. But the rate hikes are pushing additional interest income into some hands, in other words, the very elite, and that has the potential to push up inflation. Westwood's capital, Dan Alpert, recently showed how investors capture a financial windfall simply by rolling over their short-term treasuries in an era of rising interest rates. For Mosler's interest income channel to drive up prices at the macro level, a substantial amount of that interest income would need to flow into the hands of people who turn around and spend it back into the economy. Okay, so listen, who turns around and spends interest income back into the economy? That's people like you and I, okay? That's people like you and I, but we aren't getting this money, okay? So here's how the entire 31 trillion as of January held. And they show this fancy dancy thing, okay, of all the different types of bonds and everything that make up the fullness of this right here, okay? But here's, here, here's where it starts getting interesting. So the question is, where specifically is the additional interest income going? And how much of it is being spent in ways to support aggregate demand in the United States? Mosler admits that he doesn't know, but he says it's not zero. Okay. So let's, let's talk about it's not zero for a minute. Okay. When it comes to regular people, if a rich person decides they want to buy a new um, a cushion for their futon on their yacht or whatever, they go out and buy it. And if you happen to work at the place that sells the futon covers or cushions or whatever, then you'll get money. So by extension, that money ends up you. <laughs> now, if you're a pensioner and you, or you have a 401k or whatever, and your money is held in these things, then it's going to fatten your wallet as well. Okay. So there are some small piker people that because of diversified portfolios, get a little chunk of this. Most people don't have enough money to get through one week. They don't have one week of expenses set aside. Think about that for a minute. If they lost their job today, they would have absolutely nothing. 
okay? No money coming in at all. Now, so when you think about interests coming in, it's keeping the big economy. In other words, all of us, everything from mobile oil, Exxon, whatever, all, you know, uh, Boeing, you name it, all their profits keep, make the economy look like it's booming. Well, simultaneously, you and I are watching as we go on Indeed looking for a job, and it turns out to be all that's contract work, no benefits. And it used to be that it was $50 an hour they were paying for XYZ professional thing. Now it's $45 an hour. So you watch this stuff go down, and you watch the other go up. And you watch as they start saying, well, we're going to have to tighten our belts. We're going to have to cut some projects. We're going to have to lay some people off. All of a sudden, the ball starts rolling. And that's what the Fed is trying to do. Now, did raising interest rates in any way, shape, or form create the conditions required to lay people off? No. Not necessarily, no. So why are they laying people off? Why are they laying people off? It's because it's institutionalized knowledge. They have air cover. They have air cover from the Fed and from the Treasury that we're raising interest rates. So when they tell people, folks, I'm really sorry to tell you this. I'm really sorry to tell you this, but we're going to have to lay people off. We're going to have to lay people off. They've raised interest rates and it's really hurting the bottom line. And these CEOs and these CTOs and everything get in front of them and they say, yeah, we're going to have to lay off those, uh, those people over there because my God, right? But there's nothing fundamental that said they had to lay them off. In fact, if you got your MBA, and by the way, folks, I have a fucking MBA and I'm sad that I have it, but it allows me to speak fluent idiot. And so with that, the MBA says, hey, during downturns, that's when you want to reinvest in your people to get ready for the next upturn. You want to make sure your corporation is ready to seize upon the next wave of innovation. And if you lay people off during that time, you miss the wave so you aren't on the bleeding edge of it. And we don't make a lot in this country anymore. Innovation has been stifled in a big way, okay? Largely, we're a service sector economy now, and the rest of the world is developing things, okay? That's why you see a Cold War going on with China right now, with us. That's why you see us attacking Russia. And that's why you see us going after Ukraine, because we need the resources. We need access to these resources. And as the rest of the world is splitting off and saying, we don't want your SWIFT system, United States. We don't want you being able to cut off all of our money and say we can't participate in the economy because you have decided we are not your friend because we didn't do what you say, because we didn't bend the knee, okay? So on the grand scale, okay, when countries hold U.S. dollars, when they have to hold U.S. dollars, okay, and they have to get U.S. dollars to facilitate transactions in U.S. dollars, when the price of credit goes up, when the price of money goes up, when the price of reserves go up, okay, it impacts the rest of the world because they are not a net creator of U.S. dollars. They need to get them on the open market. They need to get them for buying and selling things with the U.S. So it impacts the rest of the world too, okay? I, I want you to understand, I am not telling you 
that interest rates are somehow or another creating a recession. Raising interest rates are creating a recession. There's one jackass that's running around saying that that's the kind of stuff we're saying, puts 15 tweets in a row at saying garbage. But in reality, what I'm trying to tell you is, let me get it back here, let's go back. This motherfucker is what? What is that word we got there? It's institutionalized knowledge. Institutionalized. So Pavlovian, they respond in the way that they respond because that's what it do when it's institutionalized. When it's institutionalized, it means it's beyond the debate. We're no longer debating this thing anymore. Okay? It's the thing. It's the way it is. And it may not be the way it is. It's kind of like saying we need leeches to bleed the patient. I'm going to read something to you, and I'm hoping that this sticks. This is, this is one of the most powerful. Uh, I am tired doing this. This right here is an article that I strongly recommend everybody read. I'm going to read it. I've read it probably 10 times in different podcasts and things over the course of time because it's just that fucking important, okay? Now, the guy that wrote this is not a pure MMT guy. In fact, he gets a lot of things wrong here and there. His name's Roger Malcolm Mitchell, okay? But this is one thing. It's a story that is worth telling. It's worth telling. I'm here sitting you in front of the camera telling it to you. So I'm telling you, it's either I'm wasting my time or it's worth telling. I'm going with it's worth telling. So here we go. So he, this is a story of Ignaz Semmelweis, okay? It says, why I am so tired of doing the Semmelweis. Does the name Ignaz Semmelweis sound familiar? I empathize with him, and the memory of him exhausts me. Here's a bit of history. The year was 19, or 1846, and our would-be hero was a Hungarian doctor named Ignaz Semmelweis. It was a time when physicians were expected to have scientific training. So doctors like Semmelweis were no longer thinking of illness as an imbalance caused by bad air or evil spirits. They looked instead to anatomy. Autopsies became more common and doctors got interested in numbers and collecting data. Semmelweis wanted to figure out why so many women in maternity wards were dying from purpural fever commonly known as childbed fever. When Mr. Semmelweis crunched the numbers, he discovered that women in the clinic staffed by doctors and medical students died at a rate nearly five times higher than that of the women in midwives' clinics. After much research, Semmelweis hypothesized that there were cadaverous particles, little pieces of corpse that students were getting on their hands from the cadavers they dissected. And when they delivered the babies, these particles would get inside the women who would develop the disease and die. So he ordered his medical staff to start clearing, cleaning their hands and instruments, not just with soap, but with a chlorine solution. Semmelweis didn't know anything about germs. He chose the chlorine because he thought it would be the best way to get rid of any smell left behind by all those little bits of corpse. And when he imposed this, the rate of childbed fever fell dramatically. What Semmelweis had discovered is something that still holds true today. 
hand washing is one of the most important tools in public health. It can keep kids from getting the flu, prevent the spread of disease, and keep infections at bay. You'd think everyone would be thrilled Semmelweis had solved the problem, but they weren't thrilled. For one thing, doctors were upset because Semmelweis's hypothesis made it look like they were the ones giving childbed fever to the women. Now think about the economists in the world that get angry when we say that austerity is murder and when they don't understand that the government is the creator of the dollar and therefore it's a public utility. Okay, it's not something to be traded on the open market, although it is. It's a public utility, right? But for one thing, doctors were upset because Semmelweis's hypothesis made it look like they were the ones giving childbed fever to the women. Eventually, the doctors gave up on the chlorine handwashing. Semmelweis kept trying to convince the doctors in other parts of Europe to wash with chlorine, but no one would listen to him. Even today, the Center of Disease Control and Prevention says hand hygiene is one of the most important ways to prevent these infections. Semmelweis failed. Get this, folks. This is big. Semmelweis failed because the establishment didn't want to know the truth and definitely did not want the public to know the truth. Why? Because it's institutionalized knowledge. Okay? They didn't want that. So Semmelweis ultimately died in an asylum. Women continue to die of childbed fever. Now, 170 years later, people die of hospital-caused infections, yet you still have to remind careless nurses and doctors to use hand cleaner each time they visit your room. When it comes to human belief, facts are far less important than emotion. Despite the absolute fact that hand cleaning prevented childbed fever, Doctors didn't want to believe it and didn't want the public to believe it. Okay. This is about institutionalized knowledge one more time. And that is why I empathize with Semmelweis. It is an absolute fact that the U.S. government originally created the U.S. dollar from thin air simply by creating laws from thin air because the U.S. dollar is a law. It's a tax credit, nothing more. And the U.S. dollar is a patent of U.S. government. The laws made by the dollar, the law made, the laws made the dollar everything it is, and subsequent laws will make the dollar everything it will be. The dollar is a whole, is wholly the creation of U.S. laws and nothing more. Folks, that's a true statement right there. Don't make me be Ignaz Semmelweis and die in an asylum trying to make you get this. Okay? And just as laws have no physical existence, so too the dollar has no physical existence. You cannot see, feel, taste, smell, or hear a law. Similarly, you cannot see, feel, taste, smell, or hear a dollar. It is nothing more than a legal entity. As the creator of the legal entity named a dollar, the U.S. government was and is sovereign over that legal entity. It created as many dollars as it wished by the stroke of a pen, and it gave these dollars the value it wished, also by the stroke of a pen. Still today, the government creates as many dollars as it wishes, this time by the press of a computer key. And still today, it gives those dollars the value it wishes, also with a computer key. The United States government has the power of monetary sovereignty, though it often has not used that power to help the people. It is an absolute fact that the U.S., a monetarily sovereign nation, cannot unintentionally run out of its own sovereign currency. And it is an absolute fact that today's establishment, like the doctors of Semmelweis's day, do not want you to understand monetary sovereignty. 
okay? Because the public believed the doctors who had authority, women did not understand the need for hand washing. So they died in agony. And because today's public believes the media, the politicians, and the university economists, people do not understand monetary sovereignty, so we die the agony of economic deprivation. What is economic deprivation also called? Let's, let's see if we can find a term for economic deprivation. Uh, what would we call us? Uh, thesaurus. Thesaurus and say economic deprivation. And I think that we can find think we would find austerity in here somewhere if we don't it's a shame but austerity is definitely let's see if we can find it let's see if we can find some here uh, let's just read this this is wiki this is not the best but we're going to read it anyway Austerity is a set of political economic policies that aim to reduce government budget deficits through spending cuts, tax increases, or a combination of both. There are three primary types of austerity measures, higher taxes to fund spending, raising taxes while cutting spending, and lowering taxes and lower government spending. Austerity measures are often used by governments that find it difficult to borrow or meet the existing obligations, whatever. This is horseshit, so I ignore that. Um, but in macroeconomic models, bottom line is, is that the trinity of austerity is what we keep talking about. And why do we say that? It's not because we like the number three and anybody that says that probably should find themselves as sweet, you know, strange fruit in their backyard somewhere. Okay. But let's just talk about this for a minute. Clara Matei talked about the trinity of austerity. And she talked about it from the standpoint of World War One. The World War One was a very important period of time in the U.S. history and the global history, quite frankly, because what happened after World War One? Right in the middle of World War One, you have Wilson, and you have the Federal Reserve come into existence in 1913. Later on, you've got the Bolshevik Revolution. All the while, the Russian forces are beaten down and bloodied pushing carts you know they were still an agrarian society in czarist russia they had not really evolved yet and there they are literally a huge army of people walking through three inches three feet of mud everywhere you go all the you could see it anyway they come back home and the bolsheviks have revolted and quite frankly there wasn't a bloody revolution there wasn't a bunch of people shooting each other up it was kind of like hey are you with us or against us are we going to do this or what and and there wasn't that big bloodshed them but the rest of the world saw what happened and panicked okay so what happened well clara matey would suggest that things that had been done in different fashions throughout history were put together pulled together into a package deal into an institutionalized package deal to fight back and what the capitalists did was they figured out that raising interest rates was a tool that they could use to signal layoffs, to create conditions that would bring about layoffs. That was number one. Number two, that the federal government could cut the spigot off from spending to make people poor and make them have to take whatever would come their way. 
Okay. And then the last piece of that, okay. And this is probably, it's the worst part of it, right? Is that they want to make sure that people are very insecure. You got the layoff threat that most of us live under today. And you got the, all the institutionalized stuff with the cutting fiscal spending, raising interest rates, and creating layoff conditions. That's it, okay? Now, that happens to be three. I didn't choose the number three. I don't like the number three. In fact, I usually, when I play baseball, wore the number nine, or when I played football, I wore the number 87. Three is just a number. Three is not the loneliest number. It's just a number. It happens to be the number of the things. Okay. If there were more things, if there was a fourth thing that they created, we would be calling it the quattro of austerity. But because it was the three things, we call it the trinity of austerity. Whatever. If that bothers you, I recommend becoming strange fruit in your backyard. Okay. Just leave me the fuck alone. All right. Go away. Bounce. Skedaddle with the cattle prod. Okay. Now, that said, that said, I think it's super important to understand that this has been used institutionally. Like, let's go back to the institutional word one more time, okay? Created and controlled by an established organization. That would be bankers. That would be the governments. That would be these governments working together to figure out how they can get, get back to having, you know, control, having the capital order not lose itself. FDR did everything it could to make the people not revolt while simultaneously allowing capital to stay large and in charge. So did they do it during Churchill's time during World War I, okay? Very important to understand this. And they did this as an established, as a common and accepted part of the system or culture. That was those three tools that were turned into the way it's done, okay? It's the way it's done. It's unquestioned. We raise interest rates, we're having this problem. We lay people off, that'll create enough slack labor to make sure we don't have inflation, whatever, okay? We'll go ahead and cut spending. These are things that they just do. And now every freaking wasteoid monetarist, Milton Friedman, right-wing person thinks, hey, they're printing money, that causes inflation. Now, I'm just gonna tell you this. I've said it so many times and I got compliments on it, so I'm gonna say it again. Let's say this is a stack of dollar bills. Stack to the fucking hilt, man. We got the printing press going. Tell me how that stack of bills creates inflation. And believe me, I've got time. It's my birthday. I'm going to sit here and wait to see somebody can tell me how this stack of dollar bills created inflation. I got nothing but time. You can't make it happen. I'm telling you, there is no way for you to explain how this stack of bills created inflation. So therefore, anyone that says that stack of bills created inflation is not only a liar, but they're an idiot, a loser, and a microphone abuser. Okay, they're lying to you. It's institutionalized knowledge that they printed money, and therefore it's created inflation, Milton Friedman. And like a bunch of fucking trained circus seals, oh, 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 they'll repeat it ad nauseum. They printed money, it created inflation. It created inflation. It's a lie. It's a fucking lie. Okay, it's a fucking lie, but it's institutionalized knowledge. See, now it's beyond debate. They printed money, it created inflation. Well, everybody says, well, of course, 
Too much money, the money's pouring out of the bathtub. Of course it created inflation. No. Now watch this. I take this pad of paper, which is a stack of dollars in all of our minds. Remember that, okay? And I say, Mr. Rich Man, I'm giving you all of this stack of money. Do with it what you want. That rich guy may say, ah, you know what? I need to buy a loaf of bread and I got the money in hand. Let me go buy a couple loaves of bread. But I'm going to take the rest of that money and I'm going to pour it into Wall Street. Or I'm going to put it into some interest-bearing account. I'm not going to be spending it on shit. But then, let's do it a little bit different. Same stack of money. Instead of giving it to one or two or ten rich people, I give it to millions of people. I split it up and I give each person, let's say, $1,000. Now, what happens now? Now, all of a sudden, every one of us has got something we have let go because we are not money printers. We can't get everything we want done right away. We have to save. We have to scrimp. We have to pinch pennies. We have to sell our soul to the man to find a way to do it. So what do we do? We end up trying to get our teeth fixed. We end up going to the dentist. And all of a sudden, you call the dentist, and you're like, hey, Mr. Dentist, I, I, I have this tooth I need fixed. And he's like, well, next appointment is next April at 3 a.m. in the morning. If you can be here, I've got one appointment at 3 a.m. next year. You're like, well, shit, dude, it's an abscess. I'm going to die right now. Well, go to the emergency room. I don't know what to tell you. Or, hey, if you pay a premium, I can get you. We created these premium slots for people that are willing to pay $1,000 extra. You can come in from 9 to 12, and we've got an opening tomorrow, Mr. Rich Guy. Thank you so much. They walk in, they get their tooth fixed. But in reality, what you've done is you've created a resource constraint now. There's not enough dentists out there to solve the problem. You didn't have that problem when you just gave the stack of money to Rich Dude. He's going to buy a few loaves of bread, pay his electric bill, do whatever, but the rest of it's getting reinvested. When they give $1,000 to every one of us, we have got so much pent-up demand, so many things from our fucking heart not being taken care of to our weight not being taken care of to our, we don't have exercise, we don't have real books in our lives, we don't have anything. So we will find there's something we need. And there's something, the, the lower down the food chain you get in terms of income, the more demands, the more needs you have let pile up and not take care of because you didn't have money. So now what happens? When all those people that you forgot about that are living under bridges suddenly say, hey, I'd like to get my teeth fixed. And all of a sudden they're showing up at the clinic too, getting their teeth fixed. Guess what? We ain't got enough dentists because we didn't prepare as if we deserve every person to get their teeth fixed. We have just enough dentists for those people that have money to get their shit fixed. That's it. You understand? And this is where inflation comes from. Not because, you know, you gave everybody money, but because there isn't enough real resource. If you go back, let's do, a, do another one here real quick. Let's see, Paul, Ryan, social security. It's not the full version. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my screen with you guys. Let's make sure. 
I'm going to stop sharing. I'm going to reshare. Window. Green span. I believe this is going to let me do it. If it doesn't, if you all can't hear this, just let me know. Okay. Did you all hear that? Please tell me. Oh, you couldn't hear it. Fuck. Typical, right? Typical. Bottom line. Let's just say this. Bottom line. Let me just role play it for you. How's that? Paul Ryan comes in. Alan Greenspan, wouldn't you say that if we privatize Social Security, that it would make it more solvent? And then Greenspan comes back, goes, well, there's nothing preventing, there's nothing about the system that is insolvent. There's nothing preventing the federal government from spending and creating as much money as it wants to. The question is, can we make sure that we create an economy where the real assets are available for purchase? And that's where Paul Ryan had mega egg on his face. Okay. I mean, literally. So I'm telling you this because in the end, these truths are the truths are the truths. Okay. And if you don't repeat this, if you don't know where to find these things, if you don't know how to fight back. Okay. People will just run all over you. And these worthless fuck sticks with the Bitcoin will come out and tell you the Catalan effect. And they'll tell you how printing money devalues the currency. They're wrong. They're idiots. They're losers. They're microphone abusers. They're completely wrong. Okay. Completely wrong. But they say it with such conviction, right? Okay. I'm trying to tell you that just because they have raised interest rates up. It's not that raising interest rates caused layoffs. It's that raising interest rates is a signal based on institutionalized knowledge to industry that it's time to lay people off. Just like when the federal government says, we're going to reduce expenditures by $2 trillion this fiscal year. They hear that, they know, oh shit, we've got a tightening supply. So all of a sudden, Bankers, investment bankers, all these folks do different things based on that institutional knowledge. It's signaling. It doesn't mean it really did anything. It doesn't mean it's real. It doesn't mean it really caused that. What it means is this is the code. This is like you're the Houston Astros and you've got somebody in the back there banging a trash can every time it's a fastball. Okay? It's the signal, man. It doesn't mean what you think it means. It just means that they're signaling. This is the institutionalized approach. And that was created during World War I. It doesn't mean austerity was fucking created in World War I, but the fucking pedantic fools come at me like, well, you have to know austerity wasn't created in World War I. It's never around for a lot longer than that. Well, no shit, Sherlock. No shit. You don't say. You don't say. So, in the end, it's very important to distinguish between what is real and what is institutionalized. And the trinity of austerity, regardless of whether you like the word trinity because it conjures up some religious bullshit, okay? The three-pronged attack on labor is intended to discipline labor 
because they don't want another Bolshevik revolution. It was an overreaction to what occurred in 1917 in Russia, period. And ever since then, you've had these weird, odd relationships with fascism, communism, this and that and the other, and people assuming authoritarianism is socialism or authoritarianism is communism, not recognizing. And if you listen to today's macro and cheese, I beg you, listen to today's macro and cheese with Varn, with Derek Varn, see Derek Varn, listen to it. Because we talk about revolutions and counter-revolutions and civil wars that always bust out. And we start at the French Revolution and we work our way through the American Revolution and we work our way through Haiti and we keep going all the way through the Russian Revolution, fucking Mao's revolutions, you name it. We trying to take socialism and socialist theory and trying to introduce money, state money, within the MMT framework into this thing. Because what has happened is socialists ignore the modern monetary theory thing. And the problem with doing that is, is that if you believe Karl Marx and you were a, a Marxist and you believed in his writings, Karl Marx talked about the scientific socialism, okay? And within there, it meant that as things change, as you learn new things, we have to incorporate them, okay? Well, guess what? MMT is a new understanding of state money. It doesn't matter whether Marx talked about commodity money back in the fucking 1800s. What matters is that today we have state currency. We had it then too. So I want to be crystal clear. He was wrong about a lot of his stuff about money. MMT completes that picture. MMT is not antithetical. MMT talks about money as a public utility. It is the anti-neoliberalism. It is the answer. It is the kryptonite to neoliberalism if you understand it. But I can't make people fucking do what they don't want to do. And if they have so much institutionalized beliefs in their brain that they won't break free from, and they want to focus on tiny, tiny hands, Donnie the Connie, if that gets their rocks off on a Saturday, I can't fix that. I can't make them effective. I can't force them to care about what matters. Okay? It's like eyes up here. No, nope, eyes up here. You want to keep their eyes up here. You want to make sure that they're focused on this stuff. Okay? So, this right here was what I spent my birthday doing. I'm 54. Birthdays don't mean nothing. I'm counting more to the end than I am from the beginning now. I'm having those dreams of remembering my life as it flashes by me, okay? I'm, I'm having more of those kind of old guy things. I started to go ahead and use some of that hair color because I got tired of people calling me the old guy because I feel young as fuck. But then again, I'm always wearing Grateful Dead stuff, so maybe I am old, I don't know. But regardless, I'm hoping that we are able to somehow or another put together a framework that Marxists feel like they can step into and take ownership of the money system and learn how it works so that we in turn can win. 
Because right now, the reason why the right, and when I say the right, I'm talking about Democrats and Republicans. They're two capitalist parties that the only thing separates them is identity politics. Okay? That's really the only thing that separates them. There's other little things here and there, but for the most part, it's identity politics. Okay? So if you understand this and you want to create a real left in this country, you can't divorce yourself from reality and pretend money doesn't matter. Every fucking asshole I know says, follow the money, follow the money, follow the money. And when I try and explain how the money works, they go, MMT's a psyop. It's wrong. It only works in closed systems. Shut up. <laughs> Uninformed, ignoramus type comments. And it's easy to understand why people mock them for doing it. They deserve to be mocked. You say something stupid that you don't have any understanding of, you should be mocked mercilessly. You should only say things you know. You should not run off and pipe off with, yeah, MMT's a psyop. Smack, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. That's not, just shut up. Stop. Fucking learn and then have something to say. Don't say something without knowledge. You just junk up the world. The world is full of noise. The world is full of noise. That's why people can't get with the program because there's so much bullshit out there. That's why I get angry at alternative media YouTubers out there because they're adding to the noise quotient. Noise, more noise. The unsexy stuff is where the rubber meets the road. It's unfortunate, but it's true. It's true. It's very, 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 very important to understand that you can make any law you want. Money is a law. So you can write laws to create different scenarios if actual socialists were in power, if Marxists were in power, if eco-socialists were in power, if communists were in power, they would be able to change the way the laws work. Now, all of a sudden, class consciousness would be about the workers. And the people at the top would have to answer for their lives. And if they do something wrong, they would be, whatever, man. Dealer's choice. Okay? But it changes depending on who's in power. Imagine a socialist running the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is part of the federal government, even though the cool kids from the Creature from Jekyll Isle want to spin you a yarn. I'm going to say this, this is my parting gift to you all. You can choose to throw this in the trash. You can choose to live by it. I live by it. The Federal Reserve represents an ingress and an egress into the public sector and into the private sector. It's the division point of the money system, public and private. The government within the government has no need for money because the government itself is the creator of money. Okay. So money within the government world doesn't really mean the same thing. It only matters when it's spent in the form of paychecks to the private sector, the people that work there. But the government itself only uses money to procure goods and services from the private sector. Okay? So when you think about it like that, the Federal Reserve has the public side, which is the government side, the money creation side, the loan, the, the bonds, all the things it creates within itself, the reserves. Okay, the interbanking reserves, all that stuff, that's the public side. And then on the other side, the private side, that's where we get to play. 
That's where we live. So it splits it in half. It settles payments. It's where the government starts its spending part. And it's where the private sector starts getting money. Money comes from the government. And when you say, well, what about banks? Banks are legal entities with charters from the federal government that allows them special privileges to act as banks. Guess what happens if a socialist gets in power and socialist owns Congress and socialist owns the Senate? And maybe we get rid of the Senate. I don't know. The point is, what happens? All of a sudden they say, well, hey, wait a minute. We don't want these banks to be making profit on reserves. So we are going to fund the operations of the banks, but they will operate as a nonprofit entity where they make no profit whatsoever. They're boring as fuck. You go, you collect the check, you go to work. That's that. But see, that's the difference. That's, oh, we're going to end the Fed. Why don't you fucking make it so a socialist is in the Fed? Why don't you make it so a communist is in the Fed? Why don't you make it so one of these people are running the Fed instead of, and the problem is we've got no power. And if we've got no power out of the Fed, how the fuck are we ending the Fed? Think, think, use your fucking noodle. We can't make the kind of change you would like to make unless we're in power. Well, guess what? Our electoral system is run by two corporations legally protected by the government. Those two corporations make the rules of who gets on the debate stage. They control who gets in the primaries. And really, at the end of the day, the Democrats fought and won in court in Florida to show that they have no responsibility whatsoever to run a primary, much less a fair primary, much less respect the results of a primary. They can hand select anyone that they want to be their nominee, period. They have no responsibility at all. It doesn't matter how many funds they raise in campaigns. They have no responsibility whatsoever to run a fair election to use the person that is elected to be the rep, period. So you go on keeping on believing that we're just going to vote our way to this world that we want to see, that we're going to end the Fed by voting for people through this system that the Fed benefits as it's constructed today. If you want to end the Fed for whatever reason, you got to have power. But if you have power, why wouldn't you just staff the Fed to do the things a socialist would want it to do? Fucking use the noodle. Use your motherfucking brains. Don't allow anyone that doesn't have that fucking spark in there to fucking derail you from learning the truth. If their sparks are misfiring, it's wet, fucking dry off the brain, see if you can get it to fire up. But these folks are determined to sideline the truth to prevent progress from happening by telling you the Fed is private and the Jews own it. And this, it's so spicy on the lips. Remember, remember, we can create whatever world we want if we have power. But we can't have power if you keep playing in the same system that you think is there to protect you because it's not there to protect you. It ain't the win you think it is. It isn't doing for you what you think it's doing. This is tough shit to fuck. It's like, 
It's like that liver, and you can't stand eating liver. The fucking smell of it makes me want to Ralph. You know, mom's cooking liver for dad because dad likes liver, and you're like, Jesus, dad, can you fucking eat something that doesn't smell like a fucking ass? But alas, your whole house smells like liver. That's what this is. Just fucking stank-ass liver. We need to change that, man, and we can. But it requires you to step through the truth zone, look at the thing as it is, and recognize your government is playing to its class interest, which is capital. There is no capital order. Fuck you. The people with money that are oppressing us, that are making your life hard, that are making policies to make your life harder, that are trying to get you to be laid off as a result of those policies, whatever that is, that's the capital order. Okay? Because I'm telling you right now, we the people, wouldn't vote for that, would you? Would you vote for that? Would you say, yes, sir, please raise interest rates on all the little, let's make sure we create a more austere environment. Let's go ahead and cut the spending. Let's do all this stuff. Why would we do that? Well, people may do that because it's institutionalized. And they just think that's what you do. Okay, they just think that's what you do. It ain't what you do. This is tough stuff, man. I ain't gonna lie. No. There will never be enough hours in the day for you to know everything. There will never be enough hours for me to know everything. I fucking read probably 10 to 12 hours a day. A day. And I'm talking to people constantly to try to sharpen my axe to make sure the thing I'm thinking is right. And there are things that some MMTers say that they're framing I disagree with. It doesn't mean that they're wrong. It means that they have a different class interest. They don't see anything wrong with, well, you know, if the people are hurting, just go ahead and file bankruptcy. Well, guess what? Bankruptcy really fucking crushes the little guy. Why not a debt jubilee? Why do we never focus on a debt jubilee? Why do we always focus on making sure that the little guy pays his fucking fair share, motherfucker? Why is it always pointed that direction? You know, it's a different class interest. So for me, when I'm looking at this, I'm saying, hey, in the realm of possibilities, in the basket of possibilities, why not a fucking debt jubilee instead of, hey, file bankruptcy and go ahead and buy the house back later when your income improves? Hello? My class interest says I would rather people not be stuck with debt. But that's just me. Okay? That's the thing about MMT. You could be a Republican, you could be a libertarian, you could be a Democrat, you could be a conservative, a liberal, you could be anything. And you could have different ideas and your policies would be viewed through the MMT lens. Reagan showed us the power of deficit spending on the Cold War and we have not stopped doing it since. Imagine if instead of using all that power for the Cold War, they instead turned around and used all that power to give us free health care, free college, universal child care, a job guarantee, a Green New Deal, green energy everywhere, retrofit every smokestack in the country. We could do that. Why don't we do that? Because they want to ensure that capitalism and unfettered markets reign supreme. Although we all know unfettered markets are a lie. Real laissez-faire capitalism doesn't exist, never existed, couldn't exist. 
It requires the state because the state is the currency creator. So it requires the state to function. This is the big lie they don't tell you. It's the big, big lie they don't tell you. So anyway, poll question. I have to go out for dinner tonight for my birthday. My wife has said she's going to take me out for dinner. Now, I don't get to do this very often. So I'm thinking to myself, what do I really want? She says, dealer's choice. We don't have a lot of money, but man, oh man, she's like dealer's choice. A part of me says, just get a steak and cheese sub and call it a night. But I know she'd be disappointed. So flip side to me says, hey, why don't you go ahead and get me um, scallops and uh, hibachi? I'll do scallops and hibachi. I'd love that. I don't know. What, what do you think? Are there anything good out there that you think would be like worthwhile? I would love to have something. And I'm not going vegan, unfortunately. It's going to have to have some animal protein in it, probably fish. I don't do a whole lot of red meat. My teeth are falling out of my mouth, so I tend to stay away from red meat. But anyway, if you do it, put it in the comments. I'll read them afterwards. But I'm seriously struggling with what to do. Anyway, thanks for joining me today. It was a big crowd. I really like that. It was an impromptu stream. I don't do that very many because I'm extremely busy, folks. The live streams I get to do during the week are Monday, Wednesday, Friday during my lunch hour at work. And if you can imagine, I run from one room with my hair on fire, jump across the room, jump into my seat, quickly load up everything and click go live, do my live stream, whatever. And then right at the end, I like out of here and then I'm done. I literally jump out of my seat, rush out to the other room and I'm back to work. That's one of the perks of working where I work. Um, but nonetheless, I'm busy as fuck. So it was great to be able to spend time with you today. Unlike some people, I don't see this as torture. I enjoy talking about this stuff. It is the most important stuff we can do. So it's a birthday present to me to be allowed to do this. So anyway, one quick thing. I'm going to show you guys this. I am, I guess I am going to share one more thing. Sorry about that. I thought I was getting ready to go out, but I'm not because I owe our team a plug for a big event we're having here on the 4th. Let me go ahead and put this up. Boop, boop, boop. Present. Let's go ahead and share screen, do window, boom, and share. So, folks, this is our um, our website. I'm gonna come in here. Gonna go down here to get involved. You can go to donate too. We need your help. But let's go to get involved. So under here it says events calendar. I'm gonna go to the events calendar, and wow, what do you got there? So we got an RP live with Clara Matei. We're going to have a book club talking about her, um, her book, which is awesome called austerity in the capital order or the capital order and how economists created austerity. I think is really what it is. And there it is right there. The capital order, please here. Let's, let's do a quick web search on this, uh, copy and just in case somebody has never seen this before, let's go ahead and do it. This right here is, in my opinion, one of the greatest books ever. It's one of my all-time favorite books. 
Um, it is not specifically MMT, but I see here. Let me look at you real quick. I took the onus of understanding MMT and mapping it with Clara's work. Clara didn't take the time to talk about MMT in here because that was not her focus. Just like the capital order and austerity is not the MMT focus, but I wanted to bring them together. So I have chosen to do that for myself, for the work that I'm doing. This book is worth your time. Okay. It's worth your time. And if you become part of our book club, when we do it, we're going to be giving away free books. Now, listen, this is not said, unfortunately, this is not said, unfortunately, in our writings. But for a hundred copies of Clara's book, even with the discount the publisher gives us, that would be $2,000 for a hundred copies of it. We give those away for free. We gave away more than a hundred. We gave away several hundred of the deficit myth. Okay. We gave away several hundred of Pavlina's book, the uh, case for a job guarantee. Okay. Each time we do this, we did it with Randy Ray's book. We bought over a hundred of them, gave Randy Way's book, uh, book away, making money work for us. Real Progressives takes those donations and makes sure we get books out the door. But I'm telling you right now, this book is more expensive than we've been used to. So in order to get a hundred people a copy of it, it's $2,000. Okay. That's with the discount. Now, if you can afford to buy the book, by all means do it. If you can afford to donate to help us get someone else a book, please do. God. We're doing our best. Not only are we putting the time and look, I mean, I, I, I've put in probably 80 hours this week alone at RP, okay? But you talk about giving away the books on top of it. it it's a lot of cheddar and we need the help. We really, really, really need the help. So if you're, don't feel bad. If you don't have the money, we're not asking you for it. We'll give it to you. But if you do have the money, Please consider we're a nonprofit. We give these books away, hoping to help change the world for the better. So if you can help us do that, your donation really does go towards educating people on these matters. And think about it. We conduct, let, let's, let's, let's share the screen one more time. What the hell? I'm, I'm, I'm fully plugging my org here, man. Let's go ahead and do this. Let's go back and let's look in here under media and look at this. RP Book Club. See that we have this coming up and look at all the other ones we've done. We've done the deficit myth. Oh, let's go back. I'm not sure what happened there. I must've accidentally sat on a link. Let's go under media. Let's go back under book club. And if you go through here, you can see we have the case, the deficit myth, the case for a job guarantee, making money work for us. And then we'll have the same thing with Randy's. And we also, by the way, want you to give us suggestions. If you think of a book that we need to do, send it to us, please. Okay, please send it to us. We're eager to change the world. So I hope, I hope that you see the work we're doing as valuable and worthwhile. And please just know I've been at the MMT thing since. 2008, 2009, it's 2023. I put a few hours into this. There's very little that I haven't heard or seen. It doesn't mean I know everything at all. 
But my goal has always been through this process to be a gateway between these really smart people that are so smart that they don't communicate very well with people or they talk about things at a level that is meant for other academics. And my goal as a dude missing teeth and whatever has a, had been arrested for weed in the past has, you know, had all kinds of, my goal is to reach my people, you guys out there who ain't living the perfect life, but we're a team, we're a family, we're, we're a community. And I'm here to try and break that shit down from the really, really, really smart people that use really, really big words and try to break those words down and show you what they mean and help you think through it and read the stuff to you. Because a lot of these things, if somebody, if you're reading it yourself, maybe it bounces off you, maybe it goes through and you don't pick it up. But if I can somehow or another twist my brain around and help break it down into a consumable way, then I've done something useful with my life. My life has meaning now. Believe me, I believe what I'm doing matters. Even if it doesn't, I believe it. It's a real belief with me that what we're doing matters. So I hope you'll consider funding what we're doing. Anyway, with that, I really am going to get the fuck out of here. Please let me know what you think I should do for dinner again tonight. And with that, I'm out of here, gang. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support our efforts please take a moment to subscribe and check out our other work on the real progress in action youtube channel and visit our sister organization's website at realprogressives.org 